Last week I talked to you about Luke chapter 15, the parable of lost things is what it's usually referred to. And um, I renamed it last week in the message, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. And I, that came from an old hymn I quoted to you at the end of the service. Um, that, the whole context of that parable, which is where we started out last week, the whole context of that parable is a response to the Pharisees and the scribes' criticism of Jesus for eating and drinking and having fellowship, um, if you will, um, with sinners. And, it, and you can see that you can trace it, especially through Luke's gospel, um, when, when Jesus had interactions, close interactions with people that the scribes and Pharisees felt like um, were unworthy, um, were sinners, had bad reputations, or were, were traitors to the nation of Israel. They had a lot of criticism. In fact, they said on several occasions, if he knew who that was he was dealing with, um, he wouldn't deal with her anymore. He wouldn't deal with him anymore. Um, Jesus, in fact, called one of the tax collectors to be his disciple. Matthew had been a tax collector. He's called Levi in some places. And so this parable, Luke chapter 15, although we make it about, and there are some things that you can draw from, we make it about the lost things. It really is less about the things that are lost and more about the one that seek. Because that's what Jesus was clarifying. This is what I came to do. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the one who seeks the lost. I'm the one who finds the lost. I'm, who, I'm the one who restores the lost. So Jesus was, um, was, I don't know if defense is the right word, but he was defending his ministry to sinners. Um, or at the, very, at the very least, he was explaining his ministry to sinners, um, to publicans, to outcasts, and, and, and extending that invitation as well to the religious elitists because there were several of them, several of the Pharisees um, were actually converted and came to Christ themselves, the most famous of which, of course, is the Apostle Paul, and uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more in a minute, but I, didn't, I don't intend to create a series from last week, but I do want to kind of hitch up to it a little bit and do a little bit more of the application um, process of what Jesus meant by those parables and what we should take from those parables as far as, as our responsibility in the world. I want to talk about Jesus' purpose um, to seek and to find and to restore the lost and how that purpose has become ours. I'm going to walk you through some scriptures really fast um, just to kind of show you that this thread runs all through the Gospels. Um, it's, it's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm going to show you this thread running through the Gospels about Jesus' life. And, uh, he, you know, we, we can say a lot of things about Jesus. I don't think you can say too much about Jesus, but a lot of folks just want to say, you know, pattern our life after him, live like he lived, walk like he walked. And that's right, but one of the things we miss out on living like he lived and walking like he walked is that he never, he never forgot what his primary purpose was all about um, on this earth. So let me just walk you through some verses um, real quick. In Matthew chapter 1, when the angels announced Jesus' birth, um, speaking of Mary, it said, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So in the first announcement about Jesus' birth, the angel said his purpose will be to save people from their sins. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, right after Jesus' birth, the angels made those good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For he said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In the angel's announcement right after his birth, they declared that Jesus would be a Savior. Luke chapter 2, verse 30, they took Jesus to the temple at eight days old to fulfill um, the law, to dedicate that firstborn um, son to the Lord. And Simeon took him up and said, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And in the 32nd verse, he said, This is a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This is the one that has been prophesied. Um, Mine eyes have seen your salvation. Luke chapter 249, Jesus 12 years old. And they, they, went, they went away a three days journey before they realized he was missing. And they went back to find him in the temple reasoning with those that were teaching the scripture there. And, 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 and Jesus uh, responded to his mother's question, How is it that you sought me? Knew ye not that I must be about my father's business? And it, the father's business was that he sent Jesus to be 
the Savior of the world. I have no doubt that what Jesus was talking with them about was the promise of the coming Messiah. And, uh, and I don't know whether he told them he was the fulfillment of that or not at that particular time because his ministry started 18 years later. Um, but he at least tried to help them see in the scriptures as far as the timing of his coming and tried to help them get on the right page um, um, with who he was and what his intentions were. When Jesus was introduced by John the Baptist in John chapter 1 verse 29, John introduced him as the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Um, Mark chapter 1 verse 15, um, when Jesus began to preach, he said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. He began to preach the message that would bring salvation. In Mark chapter 1 verse 17, when he began to call uh, his disciples, he said, Come ye after me, and I will make you fishers of men. In Mark chapter 10 verse 25, he explained to his disciples that it wasn't about being um, the greatest. It wasn't about being set upon a pedestal. Uh, it wasn't about other people ministering to him or serving to him. Uh, it was about him ministering to others. He said that um, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In John chapter 17, uh, the last prayer that, that Jesus prayed, that we have a record of at least, um, he prayed this prayer and said, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have, also, have I also sent them into the world. Just before he left this earth, in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon me, has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. So I, I, I and I could give you a hundred more, but I'm not going to do that. What I want you to understand is that from before Jesus was born until he left this world, he told us what his purpose was, and he told us what our purpose was. Those who follow him, this is my purpose, this is why the Father sent me, and I'm leaving you behind to finish the work that God has given uh, to me to do in the earth. I've left you behind as my disciples. So Jesus came to earth to build an eternal kingdom. He came to earth to build a kingdom um, that'll never pass away, that'll, that'll exist for, for, for all of time and all of eternity. And the way that he built that eternal kingdom was inviting sinners to be reconciled to God through the sacrifice that he would make for them on the cross. Um, that's why he came to earth. That was his primary purpose. He left behind a group of disciples to continue that work. And the scripture calls us his ambassadors to the world. An ambassador is somebody who represents the interest of another. We represent the interest of Christ in the world. He has sent us into the world to be his ambassadors. And every generation since Jesus left this earth, another group of sinners have been sought, have been found, have been restored, and have been sent into the world. Um, to bear the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say that again because I want you to hear this point because um, we're going we're gonna to get into the meat of it now. Every generation since Jesus left this world, the, listen, the only reason you and I are sitting in this building this morning, the only reason we believe what we believed and have, and have followed the Lord like we followed the Lord, um, the, only, the only reason that we have been saved is that there, had, there, there was another sinner um, who was sought after. There was another sinner who was found. There was another sinner who was restored and reconciled in his relationship with God. There was another sinner who became a child of God uh, and who was sent out into the world to become an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how the kingdom has been perpetuated from one generation uh, to another generation. And nobody has ever been more effective, I would say, um, if there is, I don't know, nobody has ever been more effective um, at this being an ambassador of Christ than the Apostle Paul. If he wrote the book of Hebrews, um, then over half of the New Testament was written to us by the Apostle Paul. At least 13 books are directly attributed to him, possibly 14. He was the missionary primarily to the Gentiles. God sent him to be the witness to the Gentile nations of the earth. And you and I are Gentiles because we're not Jews. Everybody's not a Jew. Um, a biological Jew, a Jew by heritage, uh, is a Gentile. And Paul was sent primarily to reach the Gentile nations of the earth with the gospel. And he was driven by this purpose. 
he was uh, he, he, he had been one of the Pharisees, one of the ones that had been critical of Jesus, one of the ones who in fact tried to stop the first generation of disciples from taking the message of Jesus to the world until, until Jesus sought Paul, until Jesus found Paul on a mission to destroy the churches where he found him. Until Jesus saved Paul and then sent him. He said, I got a purpose for his life. He told Ananias, you don't have to fear him. I've got great things. I've got, I've got a purpose in mind for his life. Paul will shake the world with the gospel. He was driven by the purpose of making Jesus known uh, to the world. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let me read to you a text. And I, I'm going to spend more time on applying this text this morning than I am on actually uh, breaking it apart for you. It's, it, it's pretty self-explanatory, um, truthfully. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want you to look at verse 16. Now, let me just say it in context. This is Paul's whole defense of his apostleship. He, he didn't walk and talk with Jesus like the rest of the apostles did. He had a post-resurrection encounter with Christ. Uh, he, in fact, he called himself an apostle who was born out of due season. He was, he was not like the other apostles. He didn't follow Jesus around. Um, he didn't hear all his words that he taught them. He didn't see all those miracles. He was, he was literally born again after um, the resurrection. I don't know how long after. Um, but but, but he, de- he had to constantly defend his calling as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ as one um, born out of season. Not to the other apostles, but to other people who questioned whether he should be speaking on behalf of Jesus. And so when Paul went out into the world, I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of context, he didn't charge anybody. Uh, he was an evangelist. He, he went to the, to the unsaved peoples of the world, and he didn't expect them to give him anything. Uh, he didn't expect an offering to be received for him. He didn't expect anybody to give him every, anything. And so he's defending his apostleship on that basis. I've never asked anybody for anything. All I want to do is proclaim Jesus to the world. And so pick it up in verse 16. He said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel uh, is committed unto me. If you have a new living translation or a more modern translation, it's a lot easier to understand than that. But Paul said, whether I do it willingly or whether I do it against my will, this thing has been entrusted to me and I have to do what God has called me to do. Um, verse 18, he said, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power or my authority in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are, uh, that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. And that's just, he's just making a distinction between being a witness to the Jews and a witness to the Gentiles. To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. So, so let me... Let, I, I'm not, I'm not going to take this and break it down phrase by phrase. I'm, and I, I'm, I'm going to spend more time on trying to apply this this morning than I am actually going to try to, than I am trying to explain what Paul was saying in this passage of Scripture. But I do want to consider three statements that he made in what we just read and, and, and try to articulate a little bit, um, expound a little bit upon those three statements. He said, it, for necessity it is laid upon me. For necessity it is laid upon me. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Why did he say that? And why, why did Paul say, I have to do this? I, I, it, is, it is necessary that I do what I'm doing. And if I don't do what I'm doing, I, I should be... The, the word woe is usually used in Scripture as, as a term of damnation, of condemnation at the very least. So, so Paul said, if I don't do this, I deserve to be condemned for not doing it. 
I, I deserve the wrath of God to be poured out upon me for not doing what he has called me to do. So when he said, for necessity it is laid upon me, why? It is because he had been saved himself. It is because Jesus had sought him. It is because Jesus had found him. It is because Jesus had restored him. Paul said, I got to do this because I have been the recipient of this. I have been given this and I have to give what has been given to me away. I remember a story in the Old Testament, I think it's in the book of Kings, where uh, literally the Jewish people were being starved to death. They, they were um, being sieged. And uh, as to that passage where it talks about they were eating doves, dung, and donkey's heads and uh, some cannibalism even going on. They were starving to death. And a group of lepers in the city um, heard a sound from the Assyrians and thought, we're going to go check this out and see what's going on. And they basically made up, they said this, I'm paraphrasing. They said, we can either stay here and die or we can go there and die. We can stay here and die or we can go there and die. Either way, we're going to die. So let's go see what all this is about. And they went and found the Assyrian camp abandoned and food in abundance. And they began to gorge themselves and take from the spoils. And one of the, one of the lepers said this. We do not well in keeping this to ourselves. This is a news, I'm paraphrasing, this is a news that has to be shared with the rest of our people. And so, and so I, this is what Paul is saying. It is... Essential that I do this because it is what saved my soul from hell. And, and, and that has made me a steward of the same message that saved me. I have been entrusted with this responsibility just like those other disciples were. So, so, so listen to me. Evangelism should never be considered optional for any Christian. If you've been saved, you've been made a steward. If Jesus Christ has saved you by his grace, then he has made you a steward of the gospel. Um, I quote a couple of verses of this often, but I want to share it with you again this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 um, is a very familiar passage, but you've got to read everything that follows that. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's true of every child of God that is... If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your, as your personal Savior, then that's true of you. He has made you a new creature. And all things, what, what has happened to you, all things are of God. He reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ. That's what's happened to us. And then he said, and he hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Who is us? Every new creature in Christ Jesus, every person who has ever been redeemed by his grace has been given a ministry of reconciliation. And then he tells us what that ministry looks like. Uh, to wit, that God was in Christ. This is the gospel. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. We're supposed to tell the world that God was in Christ and that in and through Christ um, the world can be reconciled to God through his sacrifice. In verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. God is using us, speaking through us, has imparted to us this mission, this ministry. And, and so he said, We pray you. In Christ's dead, we pray you as if Christ were standing before you, that you would be reconciled to God. And then again, he explains the gospel in verse 21. For God hath made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is the righteousness that is imputed to us because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are new creatures given, and it has been given to us, um, the ministry he has committed to us his word. We are ambassadors of reconciliation to the whole world. The second statement that Paul made there, he asked this question. There's, there's actually a couple of rhetorical questions in that, but the one I want to focus on, he said, what's my reward? Remember, he's arguing that he's not taking any money from the churches. He's not taking any money from the people that he's going to minister to. And, then he, and he said, it's necessary that I do this. I, I, I've got to do this. If I, if I don't do this, I deserve to be condemned for it. So he said, what is my reward then? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Um, I want the gospel 
to be free to everybody that hears it. Especially when it concerns the lost. I want the gospel to be seen as free of charge to everybody who hears this message. And I want to witness lives changed by it. To freely share the gospel and to see other people's lives changed by it. Now, I want to focus on this point for one primary purpose. Um, I, see it some, I see people um, make comments like this sometimes. That, um, that, that, that paid pastors are being rewarded for their ministry. Um, number one, I think there's a difference between evangelism and pastor-teacher. There, there's, there's a different role there. Evangelism is about winning the loss to Jesus. Uh, being a pastor is about equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, which is what I'm trying to do here this morning. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. First of all, you've got to know that you have a work in ministry. But people see a paid preacher as uh, the lost world especially. I know you guys get it. I'm not going to harp on this too long. But the lost world looks at me and says, he's just doing what he's being paid to do. He's doing what he's been paid to do. And they see ministry. The, the lost world sees ministry more as a career than they do a calling. You know different than that. I know different than that. But the lost world looks at preachers as if they have chosen their career. Um, and that's especially true of preachers whose ministry is isolated to the church. If the people in the community never see that pastor, that preacher out in the community... Um, doing the work of ministry like the Apostle Paul's doing, trying to be evangelists, developing relationships with sinners, developing relationships with outcasts, developing relationships with people that we know are lost. If, if all the community ever sees is a pastor isolated inside a church, he sees the church as just the pastor's echo chamber and that pastor is being paid to do ministry to the church and nowhere else. So... I think every pastor, number one, needs to extend his ministry outside the church. We've got to take the gospel to the world and not just ask the world to come to the gospel. We've got to take the church and our ministry as ambassadors to the world and not just expect the world. You know, we've developed a mentality, and I... I I think it's worked some, but I don't think it's what Jesus said. We, we've, we've invited people to come and see or come and hear. But what Jesus told us to do, what the Apostle Paul was doing is going and telling. He's not inviting people to come and hear. Come to church and listen to my preacher. What he's telling the people is to God's given to you what he's given to me. And that is this, that we're to go everywhere we can and do everything that we can. Um, to tell other people about what Christ has done for us. So, I really believe this is true because you're not in full-time ministry, because you're, you're not being paid in your position that you can be more effective in sharing the gospel than I can. Because when people see you doing the work of the ministry, they understand that your reward is not monetary you're preaching the gospel free of charge for what reason just so you can see other people being changed by it i think my primary role as a pastor the, I, this is what i believe the reason that you pay me is to is to to equip the saints for the work of the ministry um to feed you what you need to go out and do what he has called you to do Evangelism is every Christian's responsibility. I won't say standing behind a pulpit and preaching and teaching the word is every Christian's responsibility, but evangelism is every Christian's responsibility. The third thing that Paul said, I have made myself a servant unto all. Now, now Paul was born free. He made that clear in Scripture. Um, he, he was a Jewish citizen and a Roman citizen. He was not under bondage to Rome because he was born as a Roman citizen. He was free born. But he, but he said, what I have done because of what Christ has done is I have determined to make myself a servant to everybody. And, and what he means by that, he explained it uh, in the verses that follow, um, that he's going that, that to say all he can say and that he's going to do all that he can do 
to help save anybody and everybody that he can. I've made myself a servant unto all. That by all means, that's one of the most powerful passages of Scripture I think that I could share with you as regards our purpose is that he said, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now that don't mean Paul was saving anybody. It does mean that he had the word of truth that could save them. So think about Paul's life. Why did he, why did he journey all over the world? I mean, he literally said, I, I, he, he explained earlier in this same book, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to take a wife because my purpose is not to homestead somewhere. My purpose is to go into all the earth and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So he went on at least three missionary journeys that are recorded in scripture for us. All of them fraught with trouble. All of them um, he suffered hardship. All of them he was persecuted on. But he took the gospel everywhere he could by any means he could. He traveled by land. He traveled by sea. Um, uh, he made tents while he was traveling. Um, he, he, he had a vocational skill that he utilized. Um, he spent hours in the synagogue. Listen, the Apostle Paul, he... he reasoned with people um, he rebuked people he wrote letters to people he suffered in prison um, because of what he did you could make a he shared his autobiography with us um, in second corinthians he told us what all that he went through he said I, i've done all of these things i've made myself a servant to christ and a servant to everybody so that i can by any means possible save anybody that I can, or present the message of salvation to anybody that I can. Now, when he said, by all means, i got to qualify this, especially in this culture that we're living in, he made it very clear when he talked about ministering to the Gentiles, when I minister to people who are not under the law, um, I minister to them as one who is not under the law. But he qualified that himself in parentheses and said, wait a minute now. That doesn't mean I don't submit myself to the law of Christ. So what Paul's saying in that is that um, I don't compromise the law. I don't compromise what God said is wrong, what God said is right, is right and wrong. But wherever I go, I'm, I'm just going to illustrate it and then we're going to move on. When I, when I go minister to Jews... I'll use this illustration over and over because it's the easiest one I know to share with you. I don't pull a pork chop out of my pocket and snack on it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to offend the Jews by transgressing their traditions. So if, I, if I'm ministering to a Jew, I'm not going to do things that Jews are very uncomfortable with. By the, by the same token, if I'm, if I'm in a Gentile house... And they pull a ham out of the oven and set it on the table. I'll eat pork because I'm not under that law anymore. And that's why that, he's not compromising the law of Christ, which is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself, which is the Ten Commandments and two little condensed versions. I don't think Paul ever violated any of the Ten Commandments in his ministry, but he identified with people where they were. He when he said, when I run into people that are weak, I share my weaknesses with them. I don't, I don't present myself as being super spiritual. When I run into people that are weak, I do my very best to enter into their sufferings with them. He shared, he shared his testimony often, I think, for um, that very reason. So, so when, when, when you, by all means, do all that you can to save anybody that you can, uh, that, that, that never means going outside of the Word to get it done. You stay in the context of the Word. So there's a little bit of an exposition. I actually spent longer than I intended to, but I'm going to run through some things real quick as a way of interpretation. And I don't want you to misinterpret what I'm about to say either because I know that it can be easily misinterpreted. If you don't have Facebook or any social media as far as that's concerned and don't want it, then don't get it. Carl put the title of the message up a while ago, and I'll explain where I'm going with this. But I want to qualify what I'm about to say just by saying this. I'm not telling everybody in church to go out and get them Facebook and get them a social media page. I'm not telling any of you to do any of the things 
that I do. But I want to use it as an illustration for just a second. I get, I get it. There are inherent dangers with Facebook or any social media. There are inherent dangers. I will also say that Paul knew that what he was doing had inherent dangers in it. He went to places where he knew he wouldn't be accepted. He said things that he knew would offend people when he said them. Social media in any form can be a very dark place. But the darkest places in this world only take a little bit of light. The darker it is, the easier it is to see a flicker of light. So, bear with me for just a minute. I'm going somewhere with it, I promise. Look at Jesus' life. Um, He had an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. They were closest to Jesus. He spent more time with them than he did anybody. That was a close circle of friends. He had an outer circle that included those three of 12. He invested three and a half years of his life to ministry to them. He had a ministry team of 70 that he sent out initially with the gospel message. By the time you get to the upper room where they're praying and waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, the Bible said there were 120, about 120 gathered there. So he started with three, extended it to 12, had a team of 70 in an upper room of 120, but they witnessed to thousands. Jesus, we know of at least two instances where Jesus fed. One time the Bible said 4,000 and the other 5,000. And I think one of those stories at least is qualified by the fact that there were about 5,000 men, which didn't include women and children. So when Jesus and his disciples were doing ministry, they were ministering to thousands. On the day of Pentecost, when that 120 went forth in power with the power of the Spirit of God upon them to be witnesses, there were 3,000 people saved. Now, I don't believe everybody heard the message got saved that day, but 3,000 of them did. This small ministry team all the way, all of a sudden is making a huge impact uh, in the city of Jerusalem. Not many days after that, they preached again. You had 5,000 saved. It was the multiplication of disciples, of, of, of converts and disciples, was staggering in the early days of the church. Why? Because they were being ambassadors. They were doing what Christ called them to do. I think with just the people in this room, we have, we have the ability and the opportunity to be a witness to thousands of people around us. So let me go back to the faith, to the Facebook thing. And I'm going I'm to I'm tell you what I'm talking about. <laughs> Don't misinterpret me. I'm not telling you to get Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, or anything. All right? I'm just illustrating for you. I have 4,037 friends on Facebook. I looked yesterday. Unless somebody's deleted me this morning. I very seldom ever delete anybody, remove anybody. Although there are times I really, really, really want to. A fellow yesterday dared me to block him, and I didn't because he dared me. (laughs) But I will delete every comment he posts. And he claims to be a Christian. He just wants to argue about everything, and I'm not going to argue with him. Because there are unsafe people reading I, I doubt seriously that I know one-tenth of the people on my friends list, personally. My daddy says, you got a pile of friends on there? I said, daddy, I don't know. These people walk up to me in the store, and they'll say something like, I like what you post. Keep doing it. It helps me. Or, you on the little Debbie aisle? It got, you know, I get, I get tagged in every little Debbie if it's Little Debbie on Facebook, I'd have been tagged on it. Don't worry about it. Somebody else done got me covered on it. But out of those 4,037 people, I doubt very seriously I know a tenth of them personally. Most of them I have never in my life met. And they use so many filters, I can't even recognize them in public. So they got, if they don't tell me their name, most of them I won't even know I've had an interaction with them. 
No. You, I, I hear it. You can criticize me if you want to. That's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. I think Paul was, one of the things he's doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is making the defense of his ministry as an apostle. So you can criticize me in social media. But on any given day, on a world, in a world that is full of deception, I can use social media to shine a lot of truth. Now, I know some of y'all think I spend all day on Facebook. Cindy, if Cindy was in here, she could tell you. I honestly post more than I scroll. <laughs> if you being a scroller makes you more righteous than me, then so be it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't go back and see if I missed anything. And some of the people that have criticized me for posting on Facebook can tell me everything I posted in the last 15 years. When, this is what I do. When I feel like the Lord, and I'll see something sometimes or hear something sometimes or just be meditating on Scripture sometimes that, that were a result of my morning devotions or something else. And if the Lord puts a thought in my heart or in my mind, when you, when you learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, I think um, you'll, you'll, you'll learn to do what He leads you to do because when you do that, He's already working somewhere else and He's just using you as a tool. So when the Lord puts a thought, a seed, Plants it in my heart and mind. Um, sometimes it may be for me uh, by myself, but um, I think truth is relative anywhere you can proclaim it. And so I'll post it. I'll post a passage of scripture. I'll post a. Uh, I'll try to articulate in some kind of way what a passage of scripture means. Um, I figure if the Lord plants a thought in my heart, then there's probably somebody besides me out there who can use. That word of encouragement, a word fitly spoken, is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. It may not fit anybody, but if it fits one person, it may not fit everybody, but if it fits one person in that particular moment, then I have done my job and presented truth in a place where truth was needed. I I got to move. Now, I can be I can be misinterpreted, and I have been misinterpreted on Facebook, on social media. That's one of the inherent dangers with it. Jesus was misinterpreted too, and still is being misinterpreted to this day. But even sometimes those misinterpretations provide connections and interactions that can be helpful. Um, the way the algorithms work, if you watch a false prophet on there, um, I know this because I, I get bombarded with them. Even if you watch somebody that you disagree with, what it'll do, the algorithm will pick it up and it'll populate your feed with more of the same. So if, if, if people are pausing, checking, disliking, commenting, criticizing, um, misinterpreting what I said, even that connection and that interaction, that interaction um, feeds the algorithm to give them more of the same. So let me, let me take it to the application. I'm not saying that you need Facebook or any other social media account. What I am saying is that every part of your life should be a faith book. Every part of your life should be a reflection of your relationship with Christ and his impact on you. Um, our primary purpose as Christians is to share our faith, to spread the gospel, to seek and find the lost and show them the way to Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus into every darkness, into every deception. So to apply what Paul said in our text, I'm going to give you three practical things that you can be doing every day to share Jesus. And yes, there are some sub-points, but I'm fixing to run through this list really fast. All right? And I don't know how it worked out like this. I've been thinking about this ever since last Sunday, and there were words that kept popping in my mind, and I, I wrote them down. I, get, I got a notepad in my phone, and sometimes I'll type them in, sometimes I'll speak it, and sometimes when I speak it, I can't even read what it, Siri don't understand redneck. <laughs> 
So, but um, I was thinking about some words about how to effectively let our faith shine to the world that's around us. And there were some primary words that kept coming to mind, and then there were some other words that were connected with them. So I'm going to give you that. And it just happened. When I wrote it down on a piece of paper and looked at it, um, and I'm, I'm saying this just so it will help you understand it. I didn't do this intentionally. But the primary words that I want to speak to you about this morning, um, the first letter of each word will spell the word ark. So you can remember, ark. And what is Jesus? What, what was the ark in the Old Testament? It was a picture of salvation that can be found in Christ. Get inside him. Get inside him. That, the pitch that was on that ark was atonement. It was, that was the same word for atonement. So when you get in Christ, your sins have been atoned for. So, so let me get these three words and some subpoints really fast. Available. Jesus said in that last prayer that we, that we read in John chapter 17, verse 6, he said, these disciples, um, I have taken them out of the world, I separated them from the rest of the world. He went on to say that they're not of the world anymore. They're not of the world. They're, they're not of the, I took them out of it. They're not of it. That means they don't belong to the world anymore. But then in, in verse 18, he said, I'm sending them into the world, not hiding from it. I'm sending them into the world. So, so the first thing you have to do if you want to be a good witness and ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ is you have to be available so how can you be available witnesses how can you be available to what Christ wants to do in your life and through your life number one be intentional you got to understand when you get up every morning that your primary purpose in this world is to be a good witness for the Lord Jesus Christ make it a priority every day every way just do that get up in the morning and say God give me an opportunity today Um, give me the ability to speak into that opportunity today and give whoever I have an opportunity to minister to a heart to receive it. That's the same prayer that Paul said, I want you to pray for me. Uh, an, an open door, an open mouth, and an open heart. That You can remember it that way. Be intentional. Understand there are opportunities out there and we need to seek opportunities. Be intentional witnesses. Be accessible. <clears throat> There's a lot of words been rolling through my mind this week. Incidentals. We, we, we sometimes have incidental opportunities for ministry. And I want to say, I want you to remember this. Incidentals are providential. There's no part of our life that's an accident. I think God causes our paths to cross with people. Um, he, he puts us in places where people are hungry. And, and, and so God can put you at the right time, at the right place. And all you have to do then is seize that opportunity. Be intentional. And be accessible. I'm going to illustrate that like this. The woman at the well was intentional. Jesus stayed there, went there, because he knew that woman was coming there, and he meant to meet her that day. He was intentional. When Jesus was on his way to heal somebody, a woman that had an issue of blood, and a great crowd of people touched his garment. And he said, who touched me? And, and they said, Lord, I, everybody's touching you. And he said, no, somebody touched me with faith, and I want to know who it is. Um, that, is that, that, that was a, an incidental, providential meeting that Jesus had with this woman with that infirmity of blood. But he seized that opportunity and told her that her faith hath made her whole. And that same word is used for salvation. Jesus was available. He was intentionally an evangelist, and he was accessible um, for those moments in his life where things just happened coincidentally, um, but providentially at the same time God made his pass to cross. Paul, Peter, the same could be said about all of them. And the third thing in that is that you've got to be reliable. Prove yourself. Be reliable. When, God, when you set out in the morning and you say, God give me an opportunity and God gives you an opportunity, take it. Take it. Be reliable. Because if you're not reliable, God may not give you another opportunity. You ask him to give it to you, then you didn't use it. Why should he give it to you again and again and again? So be reliable. When, when you have those providential interactions through the day, um, let, let, let those people have access to God and his word through you. And if you do that, he'll give you more. Second, be relational. Jesus had a purpose in eating with publicans and sinners. 
he, he was not there to conform to them. He was there to help them conform to him. To, to, he was there developing relationships with them and drawing them into um, fellowship with him. Now, <clears throat> is this true we all struggle to trust strangers? It's 9 o'clock. I'm having a hard time with this time. Um, we all struggle to trust strangers. Um, I have people ask me all the time, what do you, have to, what do, you do to get preachers? He, uh, this is the question. Why don't preachers get together more often? And, and they ask that to me because they know I get together with preachers, and they want to know why their preacher doesn't. So they, they ask this question, why don't preachers have more fellowship with each other? I say because they don't trust each other. And then they got this quiz look on their face. And how come preachers don't trust each other? And I say, because they don't know each other. Every man that I have fellowship with on Wednesday mornings, although we have differences of interpretation on certain parts of the Bible, I would feel absolutely comfortable with any and every man that I have fellowship with standing in this pulpit and preaching to you. Because I know they're not going to disrespect me and preach conflicting and confusing doctrines. And we all agree on the essentials anyway. I trust them. Because I know them. So when you talk about being relational, how do you gain another person's trust? How do, you, how, how do people come to trust you? Three, three things. Be personable. And what I mean by that is, is be friendly and kind. If you're condescending and criticizing of everybody, you're not personable. When people are condescending and critical of you, do you want to do anything but walk away from them or at least be condescending and critical to them you know what public service um customer service getting coming in some of these places where people have interact with the public i don't know how some of them stay in business but, but i'm gonna tell you something if you apply that to the church if our interactions with people are not friendly and kind if we're constantly being condescending and criticizing um, but they're not, they're not going to be interested in hearing anything else that we've got to say. But if we'll be compassion, compassionate, complimentary, friendly, and kind, um, there's an opportunity there for us to connect with them on a relational level. Be knowable. Transparency. In your strengths and in your struggles. There's, you, you connect with people. Um, there's a lot of people that I don't know that know a whole lot about me. Now, that may make a lot of you uncomfortable. There's a lot of people who know a whole lot about me that I don't know. I'm not trying to hide who I am. I want, you, I want people in the world to know what my relationship with my wife is like, what my relationship with my family is like, what my relationship with the church is like, like my relationship, what my relationship with little Debbie is like, what my relationship with the Deerwoods is like, um, that I get to hunt, that I get to fish, that I get to work on my own vehicles. That I, I want the people in the world to know that they can have an interaction with me, um, not that I'm set up there on some kind of a pedestal that nobody can interact with me. Um, if, if pedestals were effective for evangelism, um, you know, wearing a collar around in public and wanting people to look at you as if um, you're some spiritual elitist, if, if, I think if pedestals were more effective in evangelism, then Jesus would have come in all of his glory first and not as a servant. Now, he's coming in all of his glory, but, but that evangelism is over when he does that. Jesus humbled himself and became a servant because a pedestal is not where we need to be. But Paul said, I become a servant to all, so I might by all means save some. If Jesus didn't elevate himself to that pedestal, we shouldn't. And the last one, and it's connected to the word, but just be relatable. Connect with people. Find a place to connect with them. Find a place to connect with them. To the Jews, I became a Jew. To those that are under the law, I kept the law. To those that are not under the law, I didn't worry about the pork chops. <laughs> if, uh, if, um, if somebody was weak, I went to where they were and ministered to them in that weakness, showing them that I too have struggles. Be relatable. 
Um, you, you can do that through your hobbies. You can do that through your struggles. You can do that through your experiences. And the last point is this. Be knowledgeable. If you are being available and relational with people that are lost, at some point you're going to have an opportunity to present to them Jesus. It may not be the first time you interact with them. It may not be the second. It may not be the 20th. But if you will be available and relational, God's going to give you an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody. And and when that opportunity presents itself, you need to be prepared for it. And here's how you do that three ways real quick. Be truthful. Don't ever water down the gospel. Tell the truth. It bothers me when I see Christians on Facebook. I seen a fellow, he was, he was obviously in a moment of crisis, had some bad addictions in his life, and he was sick of himself and sick of the way he was living. And he was really down on himself. He was loathing himself. And I watched a pile of Christians respond to him by things that were just not truthful. They didn't share any scripture with him. They shared their opinions. Stuff like, oh, you're not that bad a guy. I know that feels right at the moment. But we are, all the, we are that bad of a guy. Uh, here's how you can interact with him and connect with him. Hey, I've been there. Paul said, I was chief of sinners. I know what you feel. I can, I, can, I can empathize with you, but that's not where God wants you to stay. And then share some scriptures. Be truthful. Know the word and then speak it without fear or favor. It is the word that God uses to cause people to be born again. Um, an incorruptible seed. Be graceful, which means you be merciful and patient. I got one guy that I've been trying, I've been witnessing to for a long, long time. I, I really anticipate he's going to show up one day in the early service. He's got some crowd anxiety stuff. He's one of the filthiest mouth people I ever met in my life. And he'll apologize to me over and over, but he'll apologize to me. And five seconds later, he said the same thing. And it just, it's gotten funny to me. I'm like, <laughs> that's the least of my worries right now. My greatest concern is that he comes to Christ. Be graceful. Be long-suffering. Be patient. Be caring. Be compassionate. Understand this. Them people need what you and I need. They need Jesus. And then finally, be faithful. I, I, can, I promise you this. If the people around you know that you're a Christian, they're already watching you. And listening to you. And, and when you have opportunity to be a witness to them. And you're being truthful and graceful. Make sure that your life has not in any way undermined. What you're telling them. What you're showing them. That's our purpose. Kim you got us an invitational song. Can we stand together? Lord I'm grateful for these folks.